Konnichiwa. And hey y'all. I'm Leslie. And I'm Lori. And welcome to Sumo Kaboom, where we talk about all things sumo. And this week we are talking about the greatest of all times. The GOAT. The Yokozuna. Boom. But before we do... Newsflash! <laughs> well, guys, in the world of sumo, they have been hit by coronavirus, too. Oh, yes. See, they're not invincible. No, no, not at all. The JSA director, uh, Shibatayama, Shibatayama, <laughs> that was real hard to say. It's early. It's it early. is early. You're it's, doing great, though. It's actually though. not early. It's just that I'm still in my pajamas. Well, yeah, it's coronavirus early, which is like pajama all day, so it always just feels early. It does. Well, anyway, there. this guy, Shibatayama, better the second time, is mm-hmm. their public relations director, and he's also former Yokozuna Onokuni. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Anyway. What but a great said, name. I know. Onokuni. Onokuni uh, said on the 11th that the physical condition of the wrestlers, uh, well, the wrestler who shall not be named. And, and uh, we know it's it's not someone in the upper division. Correct? Right. Right. And that that sumo stable is under lockdown. And this should be just re- reminding everyone that they all live in the same room. They all eat together, sleep together. So that whole stable is under major lockdown mm-hmm. and they're disinfecting. But they, at this point, have said no other wrestlers within that stable have been showing signs of sickness. So that's where it's at right now. Oh, boy, let's just hope we all stay safe and healthy so that we can get back to some sumo eventually. I think I read that they are still training, that they're still going through daily training in that state. Oh, interesting. Well, I imagine they probably would, and they have this poor sumo wrestler just in a private room all by himself for the next two weeks until somebody else shows symptoms. I don't know. The whole world of sumo is going to be affected, but as of right now, they're still thinking they're going to go ahead with the next boss show just two weeks late, again, with no spectators. I'll be surprised if that happens. I'm, I'll be surprised point. if, yeah, we get to that point and no other wrestlers from no other stables become sick. Yeah. Because when that happens and then they all start fighting each other, especially because they've had a they've had more spread recently, right? Within In Japan. Japan yeah. yeah, that it's just inevitable. But I'm hoping that they are taking everything one day at a time, treating everything, disinfecting everything. Everything is meticulously cleaned so that we can have sumo. Hmm. So that's pretty much our news flash. Okay, that's good. Hey, do you want to do a sumo joke of the day? <laughs> yes, I would love that. Please. Well, we have a very enthusiastic listener who has been sending jokes to As in more than one? As in more than one. In fact, there are 15. Oh my goodness. For each day of a basho. <laughs> This joke comes from Malcolm. He gave us a really great review, which is really nice. And he's given us 15 sumo jokes that I'm pretty sure he makes up off the top of his head. And they're pretty good. They sound like he might just be a dad because they're like in the dad joke zone. Okay. They're pretty good. Okay. So here's one. Why did the spectators root for a bald sumo wrestler who had been, who had taped a puppy to his head as a makeshift wig? (laughs) Why? We all love an underdog, but a bum. 
Thank you, Malcolm. Thank you very much for that. I found another review. Oh, yeah? This one is from Thufur Hawat. And it says, one listen and you'll be hooked. Aw, thank you, Thurfer. This podcast is delightful. The host's knowledge of the sport and the wrestlers is impressive, and their presentation is beyond engaging. Aw, that's Aww, so nice. Aw, how nice. I'd like to meet you. I know. Even with, or maybe because of, my not being familiar with the subject, I was completely engaged from the very first episode. Leslie's and Laurie's enthusiasm and genuineness is utterly infectious. Aw, so funny, so smart, and oh so earnest. I cannot wait to hear what is next. Thank you so much. Thank you much. so much. We love, we love to hear these reviews. Yes. So please keep sending them in. Okay, good. Okay. So today we're talking about the greatest wrestlers of all time. And you know me. I would love to just jump into my favorite wrestler ever. But Don't give it away. I'm not going to because there's a lot of history and a lot of other people to talk about first. So yes. you take it away. All right. I said in our very first episode that I began watching sumo in Japan when I lived there in 1998. Um, It was a long time ago. I was lucky enough to come into the sport at the exact same time as when two other Americans were making their way through the sumo world. And I learned as I watched this giant Hawaiian named Akibono, he was a Yokozuna. And the American Samoan Musashi Maru, who at the time was an Ozeki, but he was on his way up and it was very exciting to watch them. These two Americans had worked their way all the way through the ranks and I was privileged enough to watch them perform and soon I became a fangirl of Akibono Musashimaru. Now, these Americans made the wrestling more appealing to me because they were from the U.S., and the beauty of this Yokozuna's Doyoiri just had me entranced, even watching Akibono, an American performance. So I didn't really speak Japanese yet, so I begged for one of our Japanese overseers, because they gave us overseers, all these American performers, to take us. I asked them to get me tickets to take us to go see Sumo, and I loved it. I just loved it. And I showed you my program. I ended up going to the May Basho, and it showed that Akibono fought Tosa Naomi and Takanahana versus Kotenawaka was mm-hmm. that day. So you guys, it was so funny. She ran in the room the other day and she was like, look, look at what I found. And it was this green, it looked like a big program from something. It had these um, sumo wrestlers on the front and this whole list of names who had fought that day, that day that you were there. In yeah, person. and their rankings. It was very, very cool. I'm surprised I kept, I'm surprised I kept it. I don't know why. I'm just one to not hold on to things. Oh, really? I was looking through all of my stuff to kind of find some of my souvenirs because I know I bought a bunch of Japanese sumo trinkets and things, and I couldn't find them. So I must have gotten rid of that, but I was so glad that I kept hold of this. Well, anyway, now all these years later, I still love it, and the mystique of the Yokozuna still fascinates me. And it's hard to say who is the greatest of all time because, honestly, they're all great in their own way. And Yusho wins doesn't necessarily equal greatness as Yokozuna Asashoryu's fall from grace and match fixing and bar brawls you can have the title and the Yusho wins but you are you truly the greatest of all time sorry Asashoryu I do are love you going to talk about Asashoryu not, as the greatest of all time no actually I'm oh not. okay I'm actually not you're skipping over him I'm okay, skipping over it. him all although right. I did watch I went down the rabbit hole of watching all of his bouts, specifically with Hakaho. I know, it's fabulous. And that so good. blew my mind, because the rivalry between those two... I know, we're going to talk more about, about it. it. Anyway, he was fascinating to watch. 
And I could also begin with Yokozuna from ages ago, such as the supposed first Yokozuna, Akashi Shigenosuke, who in year 1624 was eight feet, six inches, and weighed over 406 pounds. He was legend. <laughs> That's a big man. And I could also talk about the wrestlers prior to the war, but I'd like to focus on the real wrestlers of modern sumo history who are the greats themselves, and you can actually see the footage now to prove it. Okay. Tai Hokoki was born Kokinaya in 1940 and became the youngest to achieve Yokozuna's status in 1961 at the tender young age of 21. Oh, you're talking about Taiho. Yeah. Okay. He won a record of 32 tournaments in his career, and that was a feat at the time no one had ever accomplished before, and no one could break his record of winning at that. No. Yeah. Until? Until? later cliffhanger he had two streaks of six tournament wins in a row a whole year of domination and he did that twice and he was born to a ukrainian mother uh, no a ukrainian father and a japanese mother on this tiny island of i hope i say this right Sakhalin, S-A-K-H-A-L-I-N, which is this tiny island i don't know how tiny it is it's just an island off the russian pacific coast in north japan of their mainland oh and at about five years old, Russia decided to invade and seize that land as their own, and that's when he moved to Hokkaido. And Hokkaido has had a lot of famous famous wrestlers come from... Sorry, where's Hokkaido? I'm oh, up north. It's where... in Japan? Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. You are talking to someone who has never been to Japan, and so I don't really have the geography in no. my brain of where all these places yeah, are. Yeah, I believe Hokkaido is just north. It's, isn't it like a northern island? Because you have to fly to it. It's where you get all the yummy chocolates from. So Taiho was born on a little island between Japan and Russia. And when Taiho was five years old, it was invaded by Russia, and he moved to Japan. Mm -hmm. Am I getting that right? You got it. Okay. Yep, and they moved to Hokkaido in 1965. He joined the Nishonoseki stable and began training and he was about six feet and 337 in pounds when he finally worked his way up the ranks and he was incredible to watch he he was lightning fast and he by the way changed his name his shikona his ring name from he used to when he was in the lower ranks i think wrestle as naya but then he changed it to taiho which means great phoenix Okay. Mm. Okay. You making note of that? Oh, yeah. From 1959, he crushed it in Jurio. And then he went through the upper ranks and in 1960 became an Ozeki. And then after two more tournament wins, was promoted to Yokozuna. So from beginning sumo, just six years earlier, and at two years in the upper top division wrestling, he became a Yokozuna. He became a legend in six years. That means from 15... Yeah. Okay, I know no, you can do not, the math, but I know. it's he's kind not of the amazing. Only one. He's not he's, the only one. Well, are you fighting me on no, this? No, not at like, all. I'm clearly not fighting you on Hako's no. greatness. No, like, no. I'm just saying Taiho was great too. Okay. <laughs> okay. At a young age, he managed to break every record in the book. Most consecutive wins, 32 from 1961 to 71. He was the first Yokozuna to win six tournaments consecutively. Eight of his championships were won with perfect records of 15 wins and won 45 bouts in a row. What was really interesting is that he had uh, this run of all of these consecutive wins, mm -hmm. and it was upon maybe the 45th win that there was something that was so, it was a judge's wrong call. I think it went against him, so it ended his streak. But after that bout, they introduced instant replay. Oh, interesting. Yeah. It was such an uproar. Like, people were, people were like, no! Yeah, it no! cannot be. 
this is a 45, you know, belt winning streak. Yeah. And so it was a big deal. Now, he preferred a belt grip with a right hand outside and left hand inside and uh, Yorikiri uh, frontal push out with his brute strength. And it was next to impossible to fend off. And he had a diligence in his training that really is what set him apart. When I watched a lot of his bouts compared with who I'm going to talk to next and who you're going to talk about, he his body looks similar to Hakaho's mm-hmm. in the way it's built, yeah. which just made me think, oh, inter- I don't know. That's just interesting. Yeah. And he was slower, not slow. <laughs> They're all fast, but because he was a bigger guy, uh, he had just like long arms and could just reach around people. And mm-hmm. he was patient. Mm-hmm. He was so patient. He could take any amount of slapping and pushing from anyone else. And he just would just wiggle his way into his favorite grip. And then he would just wait it out. And he would move with this force, this real power that's different than other wrestlers. It was just a force of energy. And it no one no one could really beat him at the time. Hmm. It's really remarkable to see. And on YouTube, you can go and watch Taiho's, whatever the streak was of wins at the time. Maybe it was 32 in a row. I can't remember. But you can watch it back to back. It's only like 16 minutes. But oh, it's that's really cool. fascinating to watch them back to back to back to back to see how he moves and just to see, oh, yep, here he is trying again to get it. Yep, there he gets the grip. Oh, there he gets the grip. Oh, it didn't work that time. So we did a throw, but there he gets the grip. Yeah. And it made me think about when I watch, you know, sumo. I see them all different wrestlers back to back. So I don't necessarily make a mental note of this guy's grip is this, unless the commentators say it. Yeah. But I really want to go back and watch stuff now and be like, oh, this is what uh, Kakuru really prefers. I'm going to watch for this grip and see if he gets it. Taiho retired and became a stable master. Now, he suffered a debilitating stroke at the young age of 36. Oh, you're kidding me, 36? And he worked really hard to regain movement on his left-hand side, and he really wanted to train younger wrestlers, but as he aged and this you know, stroke having an effect on his body, it was it was hard for him to train younger wrestlers. But he did have some that mm-hmm. he trained that became an Ozeki and but maybe not the legendary of coaches that he wanted to be. He still maintained enough movement so that when he got to his Kanreki do, uh, Doyo Iri at age 60, you yeah. know, where they, yeah, 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 he was able to do some stuff, but he was in a wheelchair for the latter part of his life and died of heart failure at 72. But he was the curator of the the Sumo Museum at the Kokugigan for his latter years. Wow. Yeah. Taiho is known as the strongest Yokozuna in history, and many people recall his greatness today. One other thing that was noticeable watching these bouts back to back, he would always, always help the wrestler up. Hmm. Always. Yeah. I mean, jump off the doyo to like help them back up. Yeah. It was really interesting to see. He was the epitome of Yokozuna and Grace, and he was a legend. Now, in another 10 years, another legendary Yokozuna would come along, nipping at Taiho's heels record-wise. And there were other Yokozuna in that time. But another one would come along who had something just as special as Taiho. Mm-hmm. Now, he was small in stature. He almost looked dwarfed by the bigger wrestlers, because his, but his fighting style was dynamic, and he was lightning fast and really tricky. And modern wrestlers, kind of like Inho, probably look to him as a model of how to win when you are on the smaller side of things. Mm-hmm. And he used that to his advantage, and he always won. And he was quite a looker. 
Okay, he's very handsome in really? my book. Really? Yeah. Tell me his name. Tell me his I name. I won't. Not yet. Oh. He was nicknamed the Wolf due to his ferocious fighting style and chiseled looks. Oh, now this is starting to feel like Twilight. And beautiful physique. Oh, this is totally Twilight, the movie. Chiono Fuji. Oh, Chiono Fuji. Chiono Fuji. Oh, he's gorgeous. See, I don't know much about him at all. Oh, so now that he, he is, is the wolf, handsome. Okay. He <laughs> was born Mitsugu up. Akimoto in 1955 in Fukushima, which is northern Japan. Okay. And he was to become the 58th Yokozuna and considered one of the greats or greatest of all times. Okay, he, I'm listening. I'm totally looking up a picture of him at the same time. Okay, so I can please know who do. You're please do. About. You know that picture of the buns that we posted? Yes. Oh, is that him? I have a feeling because he was so muscular out of all the <gasps> Yokozuna. It was either, I. it had to have been him. It had to have been him. Okay. He was a slight wrestler weighing in at 260 to around 280, and he was only six foot tall, but he was all muscle. He wrestled for 21 years and went on to become the stable master of the Kokonoe stable. And this was the very stable he joined at age 15 after he was scouted by another former uh, Yokozuna from Fukushima. His name was Chiono Yama and encouraged him to move to Tokyo to train. Sorry, I just found the picture of him. Yes. Okay, I've seen him before. His yes. eyes, he has these beautiful eyes and his eyebrows. He's Well, and he's so muscular. Yes. His upper body was ripped. He looks, he, his body looks different. And it's a gorgeous body. Yeah. Well, it, yeah. It, it ain't really bad to look at. truly is. But he's also featured in some documentaries. Uh some more recent documentaries, like him in a suit after he retired. Yeah. And I always wondered, who is this guy that they always keep going back to? Well, now I know he's now one of the know. greatest of all times. And yeah. there's a reason why he would be going, yeah. why they would be talking to him in a documentary. Yes. Okay. Sorry. Wow. That is some terrific eye candy. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. For our lady listeners. Oh, my God. For our gentlemen listeners. Please look this boy up. He is they, beautiful. Every, people know who he is. He's gorgeous. Well, his entry <laughs> into for the... for me. I'm the only idiot that didn't know who no. he was. Oh, well, now you know. Now I know. His entry into the ranks was an up-and-down affair, so he didn't have the same straight-to-the-top uh, Taiho thing going on. He was in and out of Jurio. He was plagued by a shoulder injury early on, but he got a bit healthier and was encouraged to quit smoking, which actually made him put on more weight. weight. Yeah, oh. and that led him to a successful streak, and that helped him get the momentum to move up into the upper ranks. So see, kids, don't smoke. That's right. You can put on weight. That's right. Put on weight instead, and you'll go to the top. That's right. Well, he chipped away at it, and he focused on his throwing techniques and graced his way through komusubi, Sekiwaki, Ozeki ranks, kicking ass and winning prizes all along the way. He beat Yokozuna Kitanoumi to win the tournament, uh, to win a tournament, I can't remember which one, and was shortly announced Yokozuna promotion afterwards. And that was in July 1981. So while we were growing up. Wow. At the time, he broke all sorts of records again, including most victories and top wins from the Makauchi division. And those records will be broken eventually by another wrestler, but he also held the record until Hako broke it for the most consecutive wins in a row, 53. Mm. His overarm throw, the uwatanage, was his signature move. And if he got his left hand outside and right hand inside grip, you were toast. <laughs> Wrestlers referred to it, actually, as the death grip. The death grip. Yeah, because when he had it, you were gone. And he was quick, he was explosive, and he was skilled. And he could also, like Hako, he could throw any technique. He had 41 winning techniques in his career. So watching him... 
he was almost too fast for anyone to kind of catch up to. And he had like a fierce wiggle in his hips and he was constantly shifting I out of his, op- his opponent's grip. Yeah. Like they they couldn't keep up with how fast he was moving around th- their moves that yeah. they would throw at him. And he also had these powerful thrusts, though, that were just as big as some of the biggest men that that were dominating at the time. He could throw those big thrusts as well. Huh. And he dominated with this brilliant fighting style all through the 80s, ending in 1991. And he was the first sumo wrestler to be given the People's Honor Award by the Japanese prime minister i don't even know what that award is but it sounds fabulous maybe you got the key to the city or something yes maybe perhaps and then you can also watch older videos and you can see him on the sideline because he became a sideline judge in his retirement he eventually took over ownership of the stable that he came up in which had a long successful line of wrestlers hailing from it all having chio in their names including current rank and filers chio taidu and chio Maru. Oh, all the chios all come the from chios. him mm-hmm. and upon his 60th birthday he had his uh, Kanreki Doyu Iri, which is when, you know, the Yokozuna performs his Doyu Iri again. Well, he died actually shortly thereafter in 2016 of pancreatic cancer, but he was a legend. So remember for us, like while Mike Ditka and the Chicago Bears were making their stupid <laughs> Super Bowl <laughs> shuffle videos and Burt Reynolds was making Cannonball Run movies <laughs> across the ocean, this legend, Chiano Fuji, was dominating the ancient sport of sumo. And I'm sorry, but Burt Reynolds was the only thing I was paying attention to. Back yeah, me then, too. At 11 years of old age. Old age. <laughs> 11 years of old age. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So those are my legends I wanted to talk about. Okay, fabulous. Well, I'm going to add one more legend to it. And I'm sure it is no surprise that it is my dreamboat, my hakuho, the man, the legend, the greatest of all time. And I... I know. I'm not alone in believing that he is the greatest of all time. No, you're not, because he truly, in my opinion as well, he is great. He is. I cannot tell you his real name because I... I tried and tried to find someone to pronounce this name for phonetically. me phonetically, and I couldn't find it anywhere. And it has a lot of double A's in it, and I'm just so clueless, and I am just going to bastardize it if I try to say it aloud. <laughs> so I'm not going to, but he was not born Hakuho. He was uh, born in the capital city of Mongolia to a father who had won a silver medal in the Olympics for wrestling. So he came from wrestling pedigree in his autobiography. Did you know he had written two autobiographies? No. I didn't know this either. He's got two books out there, people. Neither one of them you can get in English. I could only (laughs) find there's a guy who made some videos and transcribed like portions of the first two chapters. And that's all that I can find. So please, sumo gods, Please have someone give us an English version of one or both of these autobiographies, because I'm dying to read them. But in his autobiography, he says that he developed core power by riding horses and carrying heavy objects as a kid. His dad, interestingly, wanted him to play basketball. Because he's so tall? Well, because he was just a skinny kid, and I don't know, his dad liked basketball for some reason. <laughs> but but Hakuho kept reading and finding sumo magazines, and that's all he would read. And so his father just finally gave in. But he was not a big kid. He was a very skinny, little bitty kid. Legend has it that he went to Japan at age 15 because he wanted to study sumo. This is in the year 2000. 
Wow. I know. And he was a skinny kid who only weighed 136 pounds. And you see the videos of when he first arrived in the sumo world, and he does look tiny. It just shows you, oh my God, that's an average person's weight, and it looks so frail in comparison. Yeah, when to the size I watch the videos wrestler. of the young kids, I'm always like, oh, look at that skinny kid. That kid's never going to make it. They're too skinny. But those are the kids that do. I know. I know. So when he arrived looking for a stable to train in, he was not accepted. He was turned away over and over and over again because the stable master said, nope, you're too little. Not going to take you. Uh, The information I looked at basically said that he only got accepted to a stable because another Mongolian wrestler basically sent in a really fabulous letter of reference. Just like sorority girls do. That's right. They get a rec letter. (laughs) Yeah. And so that's how he got in. Anyway, he uh, wrote in his autobiography about the torturous training that he went through in the beginning. He was cooking. He was cleaning. He was doing all that stuff in only three months. He made his professional debut, looking very, very tiny still in 2001. Whoa, how does that happen? I know. So he he was very, very good from the beginning. What was the stable he went into? I didn't write it down. Sorry, I don't know. And in three years, thanks to some really great training and a really big growth spurt, he reached the top division and defeated Asashorio Uh in only three years. From beginning. He was promoted to an Ozeki, basically just took off like a rocket. And as an Ozeki, he won back-to-back championships, which won him the Yokozuna title in 2007 at 22 years old. Three years after entering the top division, he became a Yokozuna. He basically exceeded everybody's expectations. Except for Taiho, who did it in two years. uh, Well, that's true. (laughs) And I'm glad you bring. They're so similar, though. When you watch them, they are so similar. And I'm really glad you bring up Taiho because Taiho is Hakuho's idol. Yes, he knew a lot about Taiho and molded himself to be like Taiho. As a matter of fact, in his autobiography, he basically said, "I have all of the whenever he wrote this book, I have the skills that Taiho had, except for his spirit." That may be that extra grace that I was talking about where Taiho would extend a hand in every single match. And I think you see Hakuho try, but it doesn't always go. Some of the wrestlers are like, I don't need your hand. And, but he does try a lot of the time. He does. Basically, by the late 2000s, he had he was just unstoppable. He was so fast, so varied. He dominated with wins from that time. Taiho became a Yokozuna in 1961. He won 32 championships, and that record held until Hakuho beat that record with more than 33 and still winning. I think now he's on his 44th. How do you encapsulate just how good someone is? I mean, you can talk about all the records that they have won, which I have a list here. I keep going to back to the fact that he completely dominated the sport between 2007 and 2017. He's still winning now. Mm-hmm. I used to get so frustrated hearing the commentators say stuff about Hakuho like, oh, he's, he's waning. But only after going back and looking at his record can I really see what they're talking about. I mean, he still is a fabulous, fabulous wrestler. Right. And he wins the vast majority of the time. But when you look at how he was winning between 2007 and 2017, it almost looked effortless. Well, and that goes also to to my point I was making earlier about watching all those Asashoryu Hakaho matches back to back. Yeah. 
In the very beginning, Asashoryu just kept kicking his ass. Yeah, he kept winning. Over and over and over. And then slowly the tide turned and he began to crush it. And that, I think, is the Hakaho that people kind of think about. Oh, he's getting old. You know, he's not the Hakaho he used to be. And yes, he maybe he did have youth and maybe he did have more weight on him. But his mind and the ability to pull out any technique in any situation because he's lived this long and fought this long is far superior than when he was fighting back then. In my opinion, I have so much I want to say, and it's all, it's like it all wants to come out at once. So it's like, I don't really know where to go here. It's like, I could talk about, should I talk about Asashoryu? Or should I talk about why he's so good? Why people think he's so good? I'm going to do that. Yeah. Okay. Hakaho is really known for using so many different kinds of kimarite. Okay. He says in the beginning, he was like a push out guy. He relied on his ability to push people out. But if you look at his stats, he only uses that about 28% of the time. Mm. He has so many weapons. He has incredible strength at pushing and at grappling. His proprioception is unlike That's anybody. That's a big word. I don't know. You don't know? Oh, okay. Proprioception is... Proprioception. Proprioception is your ability to know where your body is in space. Let's say a oh. diver jumps off a board. You have to know exactly where your little toe is in space. You have to know exactly where your head is in order to enter the water mm-hmm. at the specific point you want to enter it, right? Right. So a wrestler has to know exactly where he is in space to be able to match his opponent. He has to know exactly where his foot is in the ring, exactly how much strength he has in each shoulder, right? Hakaho is so good at that. In the beginning, when he was winning his his bouts, and he still does this occasionally now, like a, a wrestler will run up to him and it's almost like he just steps out of their way or he just meets them once with a push and the wrestler is out and you kind of go, what? What just happened there? <laughs> like, that happened so fast. That person lost so fast. What happened? And it's because Hako's proprioception is so good. His proprioception and his ability to read his opponent is so good. It's like he knows exactly where his opponent's going to be. Before they get there, his feel for, like, levers and counterbalance and counterweight is so dead on that all someone has to do is, like, lean a centimeter too far and he knows how to take them down. Mm. That seems to be his skill. He has that incredible hip wiggle that you were talking about. Incredible. Yeah. And um, he's known for being, and really loved and admired, for being calm, <laughs> for being silent, for being the opposite of Asa Shoryu. And now, for people that don't really know Yokozuna Asashoryu, he uh, was a real hot-tempered guy. Yeah, he, he was a Mongolian. Yeah, and another wrestler. Ooh, he was good. He was a he was a Yokozuna right as Hakaho was coming up. He got involved in these just all sorts of scandals. Yeah, uh, like saying gambling. You're not allowed gambling. to gamble. Yeah. He also would showboat after perform or after bouts. He would like raise up his arms and like celebrate yeah, or high five like. people on the way out. And as a Yokozuna, he, you're not allowed to do that. Right. Asashoria also beat people up, yeah. right? If he didn't really like how they wrestled, he would go out to their car, beat the heck out of their car. Oh, I didn't know that. He was he was hot-blooded. He was Yeah. He, he he also said he was injured at one point and then showed up at a charity football match oh, yeah. in Mongolia. Yeah. So it's like he didn't quite have the character that the Japanese Sumo right. Association wanted there. He Yokozuna could bring it in the ring. Yeah, and he was fierce in the ring. 
Anyway, as all this was happening to Asashuri, Hakaho was coming up and he was learning how to wrestle this fierce opponent in the ring. As you said before, losing most of the time in the beginning, but building his strength and building his strength. And then once Asashoryu kind of had to resign because mm-hmm. of all that, then it was like the path was wide open mm-hmm. for Hakaho to just dominate for years and years at the top. Hakaho has had his share of scandals too, but when you look at them comparatively to Asashorio, they aren't Nothing. even, yeah, Nothing. they're not even close. I mean, <laughs> people have said, okay, yeah, Hakaho can be a little hot headed, but he can be celebratory in the ring and they don't really love that. Uh, there was one time when he got the crowd to clap with him in a clapping ceremony and, and it was before the sumo tournament was completely done and ooh, he got in trouble for that. Like, you can't make the crowd <laughs> cheer and clap at the same time. Those aren't major offenses. No, no. Yes. And so Hakaho isn't 100% perfect. There was another time he added a little extra push out of an opponent after a fight was done and the wrestler landed on a judge and actually fractured the judge's femur. Oh no. So he got some talking down to, you know, for yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. There are things that pop up when you look at his history, but overall he's not only been a fabulous wrestler, but he has such durability. He's been a Yokozuna for so long. Not only is his skill consistent and he can deal with any sort of wrestler that wrestles with any sort of style. He, he's, my God, he's, he was not injured for eight years straight. Whoa. He is durable. Like if he gets injured, he either comes back really fast or his training regimen is so good. Well, they say that his training regimen is he does not practice a lot. He heals most of the time. And then he ramps up his practicing more towards the tournament. Whatever he does, it's a good, good <laughs> training regimen yeah. because it's made him durable. And that that is really part of what makes him the greatest of all time. I'm looking at all of the stuff that he has done. Most top division championships at 44. Most career wins at 1,142. Hakaho is the longest serving Yokozuna of all time. 12 years, 5 months, as of the end of the March 2020 tournament. Wow. 12 years and 5 months. It's such a long time. He has the most wins as a Yokozuna, 858. Wow. The most consecutive wins in the six tournaments per year, 63. The most wins in a calendar year. He's won 86. There's, they fight 90 times in tournaments every year he's won Mm. 86 of them wow twice not once but twice Twice. two different years where he did that 15 times he's gone through a tournament and not lost i mean it's just overwhelming to look at somebody's record like that yeah because he record wise he kind of blows everyone out of the water yeah he really does oh my gosh I watched this documentary uh, talking about why he thinks he's made it this far. Mm-hmm. And he talked a lot about the the fact that he learned Japanese so early. He talked about the early role of Asashoryu. He talked about the pressure of being a Yokozuna and how it's just unending. Mm-hmm. Like he talked about how difficult it was once he surpassed Taiho's record of 33 wins. Like he had to have something to reach for in the future or else there was no reason to wrestle. Right. Anymore. It's incredible pressure. Incredible. 
I think he also took a lot of that pressure and put it towards doing good things. Cause like the Hakaho Cup. Like the Hakaho Cup. The Hakaho Cup is an annual amateur sumo event for elementary to middle school age children from both inside and outside Japan held annually. Very cool thing for him to do. That's really cool. Yeah. And he's so proud of it. And that's what's joyful about watching it. Yeah. Because he seems to maybe now be more comfortable in being a Yokozuna, but maybe in the beginning it was just hard. I mean, it's it's he uncharted talked about, territory. He said uh, it induced panic in him. So although it looked like he was calm and silent from the outside, on the inside, he was feeling all sorts of panic and pressure and still does. And that's mm-hmm. probably why he's so good, because he's got an ability to deal with that panic and pressure and keep performing under that kind of weight and stress no I wonder know. they all die 10 years younger than everybody else is that they I talk know. about the the brutality and the fighting and the body and the injury but more than anything if you are in the upper ranks the stress of being able of knowing you have to go into that ring and perform or if you don't perform consecutively well enough then you're going to have to retire so it's either you must excel to this great great level yeah or quit and you can't celebrate when you win and you can't get angry <laughs> right. if somebody, you know, calls an incorrect call and you can't get the crowd cheering. And if you're a Yokozuna, you cannot ever lose. If you're a Yokozuna and you haven't won, you better start winning. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just the pressure is endless. Mm-hmm. I really never understood it until I started to read more of his words. And on that note, I found this Okay, you guys, I started to watch this documentary, and, and because it had Hakaho speaking in his own words about Yeah, because you don't training. normally get to hear him no. unless it's like a speech after a win. and Yeah, but this documentary on YouTube had closed caption, and I was like, oh, great, I'll be able to read in English what he's writing. And you guys, this was, this was, this was the captioning below. It's, it's got a picture of him speaking to the camera, and there's music going. And he says, according to these, these captions, The plants, normal train and smooth intel, man mystical, wanting, of course, that is by two, unisys, nice medical. They are out of air. Be good. Stir real. Ahoy. Stir my Twitter. What? I know, it just goes on and on. That it's translator needs to be fired. I know, it's the worst translation he... I've ever seen. And he just goes on. She is about things after research. What kind is he of talking about? Material. I have Plants? no idea. Plants? <laughs> He's an herbologist? Herbist? What's Language it? is really an issue with us people. Like, we want to understand. We really do. But closed captioning like that really does that not does help. That does not help. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like Hako's nuts. Be good. Stir. Real. Ahoy. Stir my Twitter. Ahoy. Ahoy, my Twitter. Stir, plants. Stir. I'm sure it was Peace. really deep, whatever he was saying. But yeah, someone but that, he's, got paid for not doing the right job. Either that or Hakka was high as a kite. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, we were talking about pressure. Maybe this is what the pressure does to you. Just turn your brain to hamburger. Oh, stir my Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. So if you think someone else out there deserves the title of greatest of all time in the sumo world, please let us know. We'd love to learn more about other wrestlers out there, and uh, we'll keep updating these. I'm sure we'll have other greats that'll come in the future that we'll have to do more podcasts about.
That's right. Who will be the wrestler that breaks his records? Shall we move on to our Q&A yes. section? Yes. All right. All right. We have a lovely question here from Brandy Alexis Demore, and she is in Los Angeles, and she asks, who makes the Mawashi? And I oh, thought, that's oh, a this is question. a simple question. And I was like, I don't know. But I did find out that the official company that is the supplier for the JSA is called Sanpuku, S-A-N-P-U-K-U. And for more than 80 years, they have provided the JSA with Mawashi. 80, 80 years. 80 years. And the even though the, the belts are actually made of a very stiff and very thick and sturdy canvas, they range from 80 to $150 for the pros. And in this research, this is really why I wanted to answer this question. I found out maybe the most disturbing fact in all my research I've come up against. About Mawashi? About Mawashi. Disturbing fact? Yeah. Is it that they itch? No. Is it that other people have to help them into it? No. Because that's not that disturbing. Nope. They never, ever wash the mawashi. Never? Never. No, that can't be. It is No, that true. cannot be. I have no idea why, but it is said that you can see the mawashi hanging out in the sun nearby the stables after. Oh, so they disinfect them they in the sun. through the sun. Okay. And the sun's rays, I guess, disinfect. But overall, they stink to high heaven. This is the real, this is the truth. How can they not clean them, though? I mean, talk, you can't get any more private in your private parts. Uh, don't ask me. Ask Sumo. <laughs> this is what I do not get. <laughs> well, maybe that makes them easier to identify with each particular wrestler. Yeah, I found that some kid, oh. some like college kid, tried to sell his belt on the <gasps> internet. Oh, God. And he was like... It's full on stinky, people. He on eBay, he on eBay, I think got $370 for his stinky Mawashi. He said, I have used it for three years straight and it's been washed once a year, but that was every September once. (laughs) And he didn't do it all three years. So he's like, he's got the first one and then after a year wrestling, the second one, and then he didn't wash it again. Maybe this is why they get so excited, the wrestlers, when they talk about getting a new (laughs) Mawashi. I thought they were excited about the different color choices, but probably they're like, oh, thank God this one smells okay. Yeah. Oh, my God. You might not be able to sleep tonight. Maybe this is also why we don't see colors like yellow very often. You'll occasionally see a light blue, but they're mostly black. Well, the practice colors. ones are the white ones. in the, And you can see them stacked up on the wall. I was like, as long as they don't share them. Well, still, even... I mean, they need help getting in and out of them. So I mean, you... somebody else has to touch your used washi. Yeah. Oh, God. Anyway. Do you think they keep them? Like, does Hakaho have a closet somewhere? I would hope that Hakaho, old... of all people, would be able to get a new Mawashi whenever he wants it. But they they have to be broken in. That's the thing. You can't just go out and get a new one. It's like getting a new reed for your, you know, your saxophone or your clarinet. Like, you have to work it out. You have to work like a good pair of hiking boots. Yes. So anyway, that's a tidbit of information that you didn't know before that. Now you know. Well, I imagine all the sweat and the dirt... And things would help to break that in pretty quickly. I My brain is so... <laughs> it's on stop right now because it cannot get past that little factoid. Yep. Sorry. Okay, our next question comes from Kirk. He's also in Los Angeles. Kirk Tomato. He asks, 
have I ever eaten chonkonabe? And I have not. Or Would if I to. did, yeah, I, I didn't eat at a restaurant in Japan when I was there that was specifically for chonkonabe. But I did eat a lot of soups and stews that had vegetables and proteins in them. And uh, my favorite thing in the whole wide world is shabu shabu, which I ate a ton of, which is hot pot. It's like a hot pot. Like okay. you throw all the vegetables and then you throw in the really, uh, you dip in the really thin pieces of meat and then you put that with rice and the cooked vegetables in a broth. And oh, it's so good. I learned this week that wrestlers from Mongolia don't eat a lot of vegetables. They really only eat meat because that's the Mongolian diet. Oh. So when they go to sumo school and they start training, they have to train them to eat the vegetables because the kids are like, ew, no vegetables. And the way they do that is by giving them more meat as a prize. Like, if you eat your vegetables, <laughs> you'll get, you'll more, get meat. more meat. And I thought, oh, man, there's something dear to my heart. Like, that's very much like Texas. It is. Maybe we're very similar. <laughs> yeah. We are all similar. We all have something in common with people on the other side of the world. So anyway, that is our style of sumo this week. Sumo kaboom. Sumo kaboom. Thanks for listening, everybody. Make sure and share and review and listen and comment. Comments. Ask questions. We love to answer your questions. And if we can't answer them, when we, we try to find somebody who can. Or we try to find maybe a like a loosely translated, <laughs> terribly translated <laughs> documentary to watch, and we'll we'll share all about. To have like oh, a half-assed answer for you. <laughs> so until later, I am Laurie and I am Leslie. Sayonara. See you later. Bye.